Book Two, Chapter Four of Michael Strogoff, Courier of the Tsar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. Book Two, Chapter Four: The Triumphal Entry. Tomsk, founded in 1604, nearly in the heart of the Siberian provinces, is one of the most important towns in Asiatic Russia. Tobolsk, situated above the 60th parallel, Irkutsk, built beyond the 100th meridian, have seen Tomsk increase at their expense. And yet Tomsk, as has been said, is not the capital of this important province. It is at Omsk that the governor-general of the province and the official world reside. But Tomsk is the most considerable town of that territory. The country being rich, the town is so likewise, for it is in the center of fruitful mines. In the luxury of its houses, its arrangements, and its equipages, it might rival the greatest European capitals. It is a city of millionaires, enriched by the spade and pickaxe, and though it has not the honor of being the residence of the Tsar's representative, it can boast of including in the first rank of its notables the chief of the merchants of the town, the principal grantees of the imperial government's mines. But the millionaires were fled now, and except for the crouching poor, the town stood empty to the hordes of Feofar Khan. At four o'clock the emir made his entry into the square, greeted by a flourish of trumpets, the rolling sound of the big drums, salvos of artillery and musketry. Feofar mounted his favorite horse, which carried on its head an aigrette of diamonds. The emir still wore his uniform. He was accompanied by a numerous staff, and beside him walked the khans of Kokand and Konduj and the grand dignitaries of the khanates. At the same moment appeared on the terrace the chief of Feofar's wives, the queen, if this title may be given to the sultana of the states of Bokhara. But, queen or slave, this woman of Persian origin was wonderfully beautiful. Contrary to the Mohammedan custom, and no doubt by some caprice of the emir, she had her face uncovered. Her hair, divided into four plates, fell over her dazzling white shoulders, scarcely concealed by a veil of silk worked in gold, which fell from the back of a cap studded with gems of the highest value. Under her blue silk petticoat fell the zirjame of silken gauze, and above the sash lay the piran but from the head to the little feet such was the profusion of jewels, gold beads strung on silver threads, chaplets of turquoises, feruzes from the celebrated mines of Elbors, necklaces of cornelians, agates, emeralds, opals, and sapphires, that her dress seemed to be literally made of precious stones. The thousands of diamonds which sparkled on her neck, arms, hands, at her waist, and at her feet, might have been valued at almost countless millions of rubles. The emir and the khans dismounted, as did the dignitaries who escorted them. All entered a magnificent tent erected on the center of the first terrace. Before the tent, as usual, the Koran was laid. Feofar's lieutenant did not make them wait, and before five o'clock the trumpets announced his arrival. Ivan Ogareff, the scarred cheek as he was already nicknamed, wearing the uniform of a Tartar officer, dismounted before the emir's tent. He was accompanied by a party of soldiers from the camp at Zebadiero, which ranged up the sides of the square, in the middle of which a place for the sports was reserved. 
a large scar could be distinctly seen cut obliquely across the traitor's face. Ogareff presented his principal officers to the emir, who, without departing from the coldness which composed the main part of his dignity, received them in a way which satisfied them that they stood well in the good graces of their chief. At least so thought Harry Blount and Alcide Jolivet, the two inseparables, now associated together in the chase after news. After leaving Zebadiero, they had proceeded rapidly to Tomsk. The plan they had agreed upon was to leave the Tartars as soon as possible, and to join a Russian regiment, and, if they could, to go with them to Irkutsk. All that they had seen of the invasion, its burnings, its pillages, its murders, had perfectly sickened them, and they longed to be among the ranks of the Siberian army. Jolivet had told his companion that he could not leave Tomsk without making a sketch of the triumphal entry of the Tartar troops, if it was only to satisfy his cousin's curiosity, but the same evening they both intended to take the road to Irkutsk, and being well mounted, hoped to distance the emir's scouts. Alcide and Blount mingled therefore in the crowd, so as to lose no detail of a festival which ought to supply them with a hundred good lines for an article. They admired the magnificence of Feofar Khan, his wives, his officers, his guards, and all the eastern pomp, of which the ceremonies of Europe can give not the least idea. But they turned away with disgust when Ivan Ogareff presented himself before the emir, and waited with some impatience for the amusements to begin. "'You see, my dear Blanc,' said Alcide, "'we have come too soon, like honest citizens who like to get their money's worth. All this is before the curtain rises. It would have been better to arrive only for the ballet.' "'What ballet?' asked Blount the compulsory ballet to be sure but see the curtain is going to rise alcide jolivet spoke as if he had been at the opera and taking his glass from its case he prepared with the air of a connoisseur to examine the first act of Fiofa's company a painful ceremony was to precede the sports in fact the triumph of the vanquisher could not be complete without the public humiliation of the vanquished this was why several hundreds of prisoners were brought under the soldiers' whips. They were destined to march past Feofar Khan and his allies, before being crammed with their companions into the prisons in the town. In the first ranks of these prisoners figured Michael Strogoff. As Ogareff had ordered, he was specially guarded by a file of soldiers. His mother and Nadia were there also. The old Siberian, although energetic enough when her own safety was in question, was frightfully pale. She expected some terrible scene. It was not without reason that her son had been brought before the emir. She therefore trembled for him. Ivan Ogareff was not a man to forgive having been struck in public by the knout, and his vengeance would be merciless. Some frightful punishment familiar to the barbarians of Central Asia would, no doubt, be inflicted on Michael. Ogareff had protected him against the soldiers because he well knew what would happen by reserving him for the justice of the emir. The mother and son had not been able to speak together since the terrible scene in the camp at Zebadiero. They had been pitilessly kept apart, a bitter aggravation for their misery, for it would have been some consolation to have been together during these days of captivity. Marfa longed to ask her son's pardon for the harm she had unintentionally done him, for she reproached herself with not having commanded her maternal feelings. 
if she had restrained herself in that post-house at omsk when she found herself face to face with him michael would have passed unrecognized and all these misfortunes would have been avoided michael on his side thought that if his mother was there if ogareff had brought her with him it was to make her suffer with the sight of his own punishment or perhaps some frightful death was reserved for her also as to nadia she only asked herself how she could save them both how come to the aid of son and mother and yet she could only wonder but she felt instinctively that she must above everything avoid drawing attention upon herself that she must conceal herself make herself insignificant perhaps she might at least gnaw through the meshes which imprisoned the lion at any rate if any opportunity was given her she would seize upon it and sacrifice herself if need be for the son of marfa strogoff in the meantime the greater part of the prisoners were passing before the emir and as they passed each was obliged to prostrate himself with his forehead in the dust in token of servitude slavery begins by humiliation when the unfortunate people were too slow in bending the rough guards threw them violently to the ground alcide jolivet and his companion could not witness such a sight without feeling indignant it is cowardly let us go said alcide no answered blount we must see it all see it all ah cried alcide suddenly grasping his companion's arm what is the matter with you asked the latter look blount it is she what she the sister of our travelling companion alone and a prisoner we must save her calm yourself replied blount coolly any interference on our part in behalf of the young girl would be worse than useless alcide jolivet who had been about to rush forward stopped and nadia who had not perceived them her features being half hidden by her hair passed in her turn before the emir without attracting his attention however after nadia came marfa strogoff and as she did not throw herself quickly in the dust the guards brutally pushed her she fell her son struggled so violently that the soldiers who were guarding him could scarcely hold him back but the old woman rose and they were about to drag her on when ogareff interposed saying let that woman stay as to nadia she happily regained the crowd of prisoners ivan ogareff had taken no notice of her michael was then led before the emir and there he remained standing without casting down his eyes your forehead to the ground cried ogareff no answered michael two soldiers endeavored to make him bend but they were themselves laid on the ground by a buffet from the young man's fist ogareff approached michael you shall die he said i can die answered michael fiercely but your traitor's face ivan will not the less carry forever the infamous brand of the knout at this reply ivan ogareff became perfectly livid who is this prisoner asked the emir in a tone of voice terrible from its very calmness a russian spy answered ogareff in asserting that michael was a spy he knew that the sentence pronounced against him would be terrible the emir made a sign at which all the crowd bent low their heads then he pointed with his hand to the koran which was brought him he opened the sacred book and placed his finger on one of its pages it was chance or rather according to the ideas of these orientals god himself who was about to decide the fate of michael strogoff the people of central asia give the name of thal to this practice 
after having interpreted the sense of the verse touched by the judge's finger they apply the sentence whatever it may be the emir had let his finger rest on the page of the koran the chief of the ulemas then approached and read in a loud voice a verse which ended with these words and he will no more see the things of this earth russian spy exclaimed feofar khan in a voice trembling with fury you have come to see what is going on in the tartar camp then look while you may end of book two chapter four